0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. All
1: right, I have a few verses to read and then Eric is going to read our gospel. So here is Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 10 through 18. But there will be no gloom for for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian." and Paul in still introducing himself to the Corinthian church says I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the n- same mind and the same judgment for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you my brothers What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Pastors' minds are very colluded and crazy. So he's maybe I baptized other people, maybe I did it. My point is, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power
0: of God. The word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter four, verses 12 to 23. Now when Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, On them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went on throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're continuing our series,
1: putting in the work. And one of the things we said last week was that in this season of epiphany that we're in, Epiphany is when God shines his light of revelation on something old in our life so that we can see it new again. Epiphany is not the moment when you see something brand new. Epiphany is the moment when God's light shines on things you see every single day and all of a sudden you see them in a much deeper, much more appreciative, much more gratuitous way. Every one of us needs Jesus to shine on our own self so that we could see ourselves new again, so that we can see ourselves in a new light. Life has a way of wearing us down to the point where fatigue causes us to lessen our view of our own self. And we start to think that the things that are happening to us are equal to what's true of us the letdowns, the disappointments, the things that go wrong, life has a way of fatiguing us to the point where we begin to feel like those things actually mean what we mean. They're true of who we are as a person. And there's a way in which we're involved in the things that are going wrong. We're involved in the things that don't go the way we want them to. But the only thing that is truly true of us is Jesus Christ. Jesus is always what is fully true of you. The truth of who you are is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everything that happens in, around us, and to us happens in that truth. What's true of me today, standing before you, is not this ministry. What's most true of me is not that I'm a husband, is not that I'm a father. What's most true of me is Jesus Christ. And because that is what makes me true, I can enter those other areas of my life and serve in them and not need them for my identity. Because once you need something for your identity, you can no longer serve it, you actually use it. Has anybody ever felt used before? It's not a good feeling when you feel used. We use things and people when we need them to form and hold up our identity. When in reality, our identity is a truth that cannot be used, only proclaimed, and his name is Jesus. So as John is standing there, One of the greatest lines of epiphany is John sitting with his disciples, presumably having a conversation about the things of the kingdom of God, and Jesus, who John has seen for 30 plus years, walks by, and John says, behold, this isn't just Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, epiphany. He sees someone he has seen so many times and now sees something brand new, the Lamb of God, the answer to Leviticus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb whose blood was on the doorpost as the angel of death passed over. It's this person. And we talked about that last week. This week, I want to briefly share How it's wonderful that John looked at Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but we also, and maybe a little bit more frustratingly, and it might be a little cringy, but we also have to talk about why Jesus had to be the Lamb of God that takes away the, we have to talk about why Jesus had to be that, Hang out with me when I watch a Giants game, and you will see why Jesus had to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I did okay, right, Mike? I was okay. I said to Mike, Mike, no matter what happens in this game, speak to me in a way that makes me think they're still going to win. And in, like, the second quarter, Mike's like, do I have to keep doing this? Like, no. (laughs) No. We need to put in the work of seeing in us why Jesus had to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Stephanie was all up in our notes from yesterday's men's and women's ministry. Stephanie is also all up in my notes from this morning, which I felt like I was supposed to reiterate something from yesterday, and Stephanie already did. Printed in my notes, here Stephanie is, Adam and Eve hid in the garden, And we said this yesterday, and it bears repeating. Most of us have grown up hearing that sin separates us from God. Have you heard this before? When Adam and Eve sinned, who did they hear walking in the garden? Who? What was he doing? He was looking for who? Them. How many have heard that sin separates you from God? Do you see the problem? If sin separated us from God, why is it that when they sinned, they heard the sound of walking toward them? Sin does not separate God from us, sin makes us want to separate from God. Let's say it right. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, not height, not depth, not your sin, not, in, not, not, not financial issues, not people persecuting your churches, not knowing what to do, not a relationship breakup, not getting cheated on, not things falling on. nothing, not even your rejection of Jesus can separate you from a God who will always be trancing through the garden of your life that we've probably made a wilderness looking for you. Like we said to Maddie and Anthony, when you turn from goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy shall all the days of my life, you cannot get away from this God. Sin does not separate me from God. It makes me want to be separated from him. And he annoyingly keeps coming. Bill, where are you? God, stop asking me questions you know the answer to. Let's get on with the rebuke, please. No, that's not how it works. Light rises from Isaiah, light shines on those who are in the shadow of death, light shines on those who are walking in darkness. Salem, we could talk about this many ways, but the way we need to talk about it now is God's light shines into the darkness of our sin and exposes it for what it is. Yay. Exciting. He doesn't just know it's there. He shines a light on it. Shut the light off, please. He will shine light in your valley. You don't have to leave the valley. Light will find you there. He will shine in your darkness. You don't have to try to go someplace else. He will find you there. But with that exploration comes a God who not only wants to find us, but wants to repair us wants to heal us, wants to turn us back into the right direction, taking off of us those things that we use to cover ourselves and hide from him and to put on his armor of light. So we can't just celebrate the God who forgives. He forgives, and once all is forgiven, he says, let's sit down and let's talk about what I just had to forgive. Yay. It's not even Lent yet, and I'm just making the day negative for everybody right now because I'm in a bad mood. So, I decided I'm going to preach on sin this morning. If they won, we might be preaching on prosperity. What trees do we hide behind? What trees do we hide behind? So, We need to, I'm going to say three things. It's so much more than three, but three is a fun number, so we're going to stick with three. Putting in the work of examination. Number one, don't hide behind possibility. Let light shine in. What do I mean by don't hide behind possibility? I have heard people say of big issues, the immigration crisis, The social justice issues, they're so impossible, it feels pointless to even try to do anything. We get caught in the idol of possibility, and when we determine that something seems to be impossible, we stop working toward it. And that can be one of the most dangerous things that we will ever do in our own personal life, in our own families, or in the work of the ministry to bring justice and equity to all people. Imagine how demoralizing it would feel is if you're on the bad end of that impossibility and you hear other people say, this is impossible, what's the point of even trying? And you're like, I'm the point of trying. My life is worthy of somebody to keep trying even if it's impossible. Throw another pass, Daniel Jones, there's still time on the clock. But when it comes to our own self, we sit there and say, It's impossible. I don't know that I'll ever stop making these mistakes. I don't know that I'll ever get out of this rut. Yes, more time goes by between the mistake and when I make it next. But eventually, that Ferris wheel seems to come back around and I do it again. It seems like the better I get, it's not that I don't make the mistakes, it's just that it takes longer for me to make them again. And then sometimes you go through seasons where you start making them more rapidly than you made them before you were saved. And you're like, that's impossible. What's the point of trying? Listen, it says in Isaiah that the yoke of the oppressor will be broken. I want everybody to imagine an old school fan that goes into a window, not an air conditioner, a fan, that goes into a window and blows hot air from outside outside into your house, giving the illusion that it's getting cooler. Imagine that fan spinning super fast, and then you pull the plug. Do the blades stop spinning? Not right away. But is the power gone? That's what he's done with our sin. He's pulled the plug on the power. The blades are still spinning sometimes. But I can now make a decision to be different. Before Jesus, I couldn't make a decision to be different. But now, by God's grace in the blood of Jesus, I have in me, his name is the Holy Spirit, the ability to make new choices. And it takes time to develop the habits of those new choices. Listen, sometimes we mistake confession for repentance. Sometimes we confess, we we conflate repentance with sanctification. Sometimes it takes so much just to say I did something wrong. It takes all of our energy to say, yes, this has become an idol in my life, that when we finally admit it, there's such a, a rush of good feeling that we think that that moment was the healing. That was just the front door. Now the healing has to take place. And you say, well, it's impossible the yoke of my sin is so heavy, it's impossible to carry. The yoke that Jesus has to carry, which is the yoke of salvation, is impossible for anybody to pick up. But what did he tell us to do with his yoke? He said, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is what? And my burden is. No, it's not! Your yoke is not easy, and your burden is not light. Your yoke and your burden is to eradicate sin. I probably sinned since I started preaching today. Probably just now. How is your yoke easy and your burden light? How is it okay? How can I even think for a second that I can have the motivation to try again to live a better life? Here's how. He said, take it up. And when God says something, he creates in you the capacity to do what he just said. I said to Tori last night, sitting across the table from Antonellus, praise the name of Jesus took a break from the Mediterranean diet and had a nice chicken parm sandwich with rigatoni and fried Diavolo sauce on it and a little crushed red pepper. Oh, I just sinned, let me tell you. I said, how can you do this? How can you go back there with all that danger and all the turmoil? God told me to. And that is how. Tori knows he couldn't. If and what did he just say? He said, "I will be there until God tells me to come back." When God says, "Take up my yoke," that's what makes his yoke easy and his burden light. You try to take it up on your own and you won't be able to budget. You stand up and turn around and say, "I can't pick it up." And he says, "Now pick it up." You're like, "I can't. I What was the difference? he just said to. You could say, I can't fix my sin, so what's the point of trying? But when he whispers in your ear, this year, we're going to overcome this together. Now you can. Now you will. You'll see distance between you and it as this year goes on. So don't be afraid to face your sin. Don't hide behind possibility or impossibility know that when he points something out to you he doesn't point out our sin the way that we point out each other's sins we point out each other's sins to make life heavier for the other person and lighter for us that's why we like to point out each other's sins let's just be real for a second everybody says they like how real we are in this room we point out each other's sins that we could feel better about our own Jesus points out our sin to make our life lighter and his life heavier He points out sin, but he won't point anything out. He's not willing to bear with you. So sidebar lesson, a free lesson, free of charge for you. Never point out the sin of somebody else that you're not willing to carry until it's gone. And if you're not, then don't ever point it out. But don't be afraid to face your sin, especially if it's impossible. Because today he's saying you will have the grace this year to face the things that I'm going to show you. Don't go searching. Let him show you. Let him bring up to you what he wants to work on next. And you will have the grace to face it. Next, don't hide behind promotion. Let light in. What do we mean by this? Many of us, I've said it so much in my life. I will finally be better when, dot, dot, dot. When I graduate. When I get the job I want. When I get married. When we have kids. (laughs) Having kids just creates more sinful moments. (laughs) Just, there's now two little opportunities for me to sin running around all over the place. The disciples are there, and, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not going to go crazy with this point, but I just I, somebody needs to hear it. All of us need to hear it. The disciples were at a mundane job, mending their nets. And any of them could have been saying, our life will be better if we could just stop doing this. I'd have less problems if I could stop doing this. Some of us has, have jobs we love, and we, we're, we live in them, afraid and say, man, things will keep going well so long as I keep this. That I have. And we're afraid of loss because we equate our ability to live well with our promotion, with our position in life. And so some of us are saying, oh, well, if I had the position I wanted, if I lived in the location I wanted, if I lived in the house I wanted, if I was able to wear the clothes that I wanted, if I had the relationships I wanted, if I didn't have the relationships that I have that I don't want, then things would get better, and all the while, we're hiding behind the tree of promotion or position. And Jesus is saying, please come out from behind that. What are we supposed to do? They were mending their nets. Can we just take the most simplest of points? Start here. What, and, and let's really take it literally. Whatever you do for a living right now, and without spending 45 minutes on my testimony, Salem, I promise you, I have lived what I'm about to say. Take whatever your employment is right now, go to work, and mend nets the best you possibly can. Do that job. Like today was the day that Jesus was returning. Do that job in a way that makes everybody else's job around you easier. Well, I'm underpaid. Well, I'm not, tr- just pause on all that. It matters. It matters. And you know that I know it matters. But at th- those things can only be talked about if the foundation is shored up. And the shored up foundation is work as unto the Lord. Work as unto the Lord. Jesus saw men who were mending nets, and then he called them out of that. Maybe he wouldn't have called them if they were sitting down, letting their nets rot, complaining about their job. Maybe he would have. He's Jesus. I don't want to speak for him. I don't know. What I am saying is, what the word shows us is, that the people he called were people who were working hard at what they were doing. We've said it before. These days in the working environment, if you do a C-plus job, you're probably going to be president of the company in three weeks because nobody's working very hard these days. Go and be different. Your value as a person is not rooted in the job that you have. It's rooted in the Lord you're serving while you're working at that job. So work it. Work it well. Do a good job tomorrow at work. Pray for what you want. Ask God to move you when it's time. But here's the thing, and here's what I want to say on this point. If you move before he moves you, you won't have the grace for the next thing. And if you stay after he's trying to move you, you won't have the grace to be where you are anymore. You only have the grace to be where he currently has you and only until he has you there and then doesn't anymore. Some of us are trying to move from a place, from a relationship, from a situation that God isn't calling us out of. And we're wondering why we're bumping up against all this resistance. It's because the grace isn't there. And some of us are trying to stay in a place that was really comfortable, knowing God's calling us to a much more uncomfortable place. And the longer we stay in the comfortable place, it's becoming more and more uncomfortable because the grace is gone to stay there. Like Tori said... I will be in Tanzania until God tells me to be someplace else. Don't hide behind promotion. Let light in. Peter, after Jesus rose from the dead, this spoke to me when I was working at the daycare center. This spoke to me when I was working at Allstate Insurance Company negotiating the claims that all of you got into in your parking lot accidents and stuff like that around Christmas time. I got paid to negotiate. It was a good little situation for me. I enjoyed it. I got comfortable there. I got called out of there and thought, the next fall I'm getting called to the church, surely that will be perfectly comfortable. <laughs> what makes, looking back, what makes this job, all state, all the other jobs, the youth prisons that I worked in, the youth homes that I worked in, what makes all of them comfortable was that God said to be there. What made them uncomfortable was when God said to go, and I hesitated. Peter, on, after Jesus rose from the dead, after he saw him, it says that Peter, the disciples like, what do we do now? Peter's like, let's go fishing. That might be simple to you when you read your Bible, but that spoke to me. That showed me that Peter was so free in Jesus that he was willing to go back to any job because his identity had shifted from his job to his Savior, and he could go back to that mundane little place and do it as well as he ever did it until Jesus called him out again, and Jesus called him out again. Be where he's called you to be. Be where you are until he moves you and be there well. And finally, don't hide behind preference. Let light in. Paul is now talking to a Corinthian church. saved people. People who are now in the know. They're saved, they're healthy, they're stabilizing, they're learning, they they already have the Holy Spirit, they already have the gifts, they already have the Eucharist. Why? Because all of this stuff he's going to talk to them about in 1 Corinthians. They have all these things. They are the marquee church. They're the church that people are looking at saying, let's let's do the Corinthian model. And in that church, Paul is saying, right off the bat, before he talks about the Eucharist, before he talks about the spiritual gifts, before 1 Corinthians 15, when he talks about the resurrection, the very first thing that he talks about that seems to be more important to him, he, he knows people like we know people. They're probably only going to read the first chapter. So let me tell them what's most important in that first chapter. Don't be at odds with each other. Don't develop cliques in the church. Don't be around people. Listen to me carefully. Don't live around people who make it easy for you to never check your preferences. Every one of us wants to be around people that make it the easiest for us to be our false self. All of us want to be around people who are going to say, yeah, I know that was wrong, but I totally get why you did it, and I would have done it too. If I... We could balloon out. All of us want to be around people who are also doing the same things wrong that we're doing so that we feel less guilty about doing them wrong. All of us want to be around people who eat the same food we like. All of us want to be around people who have the same political party we have. All of us want to be around people who baptize people the same way we do and have the same theology of the afterlife that we do and have the same theology of first evidence and tongues and creeds and liturgy that we do. And on and on it goes until all of a sudden we have white people over here and black people over here. Young people over here and old people over here. All of a sudden, that tiny little seed of I just want to be around people who are like me turns into all the worst isms that could ever possibly exist. And it starts in our living rooms. It starts in our church living room. We need to be around people who have different preferences than we do because we need to check our preferences, keep the good ones, and then offer the good ones and let other people share in the good ones and learn from other people's preferences that are better than our bad ones. The rest of what you need is not in God. It was until he gave it to somebody else for you. There's so much that I need that God gives me directly. Everybody can say amen to this. But the rest of what I need, God has deposited in Paul. And I'm like, now I have to hang out with Paul. I'm just kidding. I love you. I'd love to, yes. God gave the rest of what I need to Ron, a Yankee fan? Rally? R- rally, God? Rally? Rally? Really? Ron? I got to hang out, when Ron calls I got to answer the phone? Those are the easy ones. I won't say the hard ones because people will be offended. (laughs) That coworker you can't stand has a golden ticket that you need and Jesus is laughing. Oh, she hates her. So I'm going to give her what she needs. I'm awesome. Peter is what we would call a modern day Republican. An Israelite nationalist. Loved his country. Make Israel great again. Matthew is what we would call a modern day liberal. Israelite, but he's working with the Romans. He's being ecumenical. He's spreading himself out. And Israel's looking at him like, yo, you're consorting with the enemy. Like, let's make our country great. Why do we have... They never would have met each other. Their lives never would have crossed, only probably at the pointy end of a spear or a sword, until Jesus showed up. And two men who would never have any business with each other anywhere else found holy common ground in the person of Jesus Christ. And they laid down their preferences and became part of the holy writ of scripture and our lives administer to us to this day. They laid down their preferences because Jesus put them together and they realized, Peter realized, Matthew has stuff that I need. And Matthew realized, yes, Peter, you have some stuff I need too. I guess we'll hang out. And they became brothers in the Lord. And Paul writes this first before he writes even about love. He writes this first. There cannot be people who sit in circles of their own preference in the church. You need each other. It's the strength of who we are. Now now I'll speak personally to you. It is the strength of who that we, we are a church that knows that with all the treasures of God is in the word diversity. Not just racial diversity, but political diversity, and gender diversity, and age diversity, and all the other diversities. Occupational diversity. There's so much difference here. But here's the thing. It's, it's especially a church that gets healthy in that area that is also the most susceptible to get tagged up by the devil in that same area. The areas of your life that you are doing the most well in, those are the danger zones for where you can get a sneak attack and mess something up. So it's important that we don't hide behind possibility. Even if it's impossible, the minute Jesus tells it to you, you can open up your soul, you can come out from behind the trees, and you could be made whole again. Don't hide behind promotion. Where you are is the starting place for everything God wants to do for you and do with you. So be there well. And if you're not there well, if you're not there in a holy way, if you're not there in a humble way, if you've been spewing venom about how much you hate your job and you don't like what you do and it would be better if you didn't have it, if that's where you're at, just repent. (laughs) Say sorry. And ask God for some humility and for some grace to go to work the next day and say, as long as I get to do this, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. Even if you're saying, please move me. Please move me. Until he does, be there well things will shift in your life, you'll get happier. When, Jeter, when Jesus, Jeter, what, what? Ron Green is in my head now. When Derek Jeter bled and died for you, no. You know what I've always said? You don't have to love your job, but we have to love working. love work even if you don't like your job work is what god gave us jobs are where we acted out and don't hide behind preference let's stand to our feet this morning as we stand to our feet as john celebrity john takes his time to come up here There's one more point I want to make as we get ready to come to the table. (laughs) Deep. (laughs) It says that Jesus began to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. It says that he began to say that when John was put in prison. I would like everybody to close their eyes. When John was put in prison, it says that Jesus began to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John was saying. And then he was put in prison. And then Jesus began to say what John was saying. And I just felt that there was somebody in the room when I was writing this this morning. Whether it's in your leadership at work, at home in your group of friends, parenting, being a spouse, whatever it is, wherever it is, whoever you are. I felt like there was people in the room who were saying, I've worked so hard. And now I feel like I'm in prison. I feel like everything I'm doing isn't working anymore. I can imagine that John, when he got thrown in prison, must have said, Now what? Who's going to prepare the way? Who's going to keep telling people that he's coming? Who's going to finish my work? Does it really end like this? Does all my hard work and love for the world and being in the wilderness and leading people to the waters of baptism, does it really end here in this prison? Is this really where it ends? And then the Bible gives us that one detail that Jesus began to say what John was no longer able to say. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted you to know that when you feel like you can't do it anymore, Jesus will always start doing what you can no longer do anymore for you. He will always pick up where you leave off. He's the author and the... He will give you the energy you need to start, and when your tank runs out, He will finish what He started. So if you feel like the walls have closed in on you in your personal life, if you feel like the walls have closed closed in on you in your parenting life or your spousing life or your occupational life or vocational life, Jesus will always do the things that are good for you to be doing even if you can't do them anymore. He will keep parenting those kids when you can't anymore. He will keep loving that spouse when you can't find love in you. He will be working hard and keep showing you how to start working hard again. He will always finish what he started in you. So when that prison door slams in your face, and from time to time it will, and your voice seems like it's been silenced by the trials and tribulations and people around you, just know that Jesus' voice will speak the words that you should have been speaking and can't speak anymore. That's what he does. Your labor will never be in vain because the Lord will always take it up and bring it to where you can never bring it to. Lord Jesus, it was on the night when you were betrayed that you took bread. And you heard the prison doors beginning to close on your life. And it wasn't discouragement that coursed through your body, but it was thanksgiving. Because you were full of the Holy Spirit. And you knew that they could end your life, nail you to a cross, but the Spirit would keep on working even to the point of raising you back up again on the third day. And so it was thanksgiving that filled your heart in that dark moment. And you said, this is my body broken for you. Take all of who I am. You can't steal it because I'm giving it to you. You can't betray me because I'm already there. You can't doubt me because I'm already in your doubts. I'm already in your fears. I'm already in death itself. Take my body, eat, and do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, you took the cup of wine. And after giving thanks, you said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. For you and for many. For you who stand here and believe in me and for the many that don't. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of it, drink in remembrance of me. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Forgive us of our sins. Call us out from behind the trees. Take off the coverings we've put over ourselves. And cover us with your love and your light. Salem, next week, is First Fruit Sunday. Once again, the call, and there's a reason why I'm saying this now, the call is to take your first hour or your first day or your first week or your first month, whatever the Lord, remember what I said about grace, whatever the Lord is leading you to do, and we're going to bring our children with us next week. We're going to worship a lot next week, Steph. Get ready. We're going to worship a lot next week. I'm only going to share briefly next week. And then we're going to come forward with our children. Have your children bring a toy or something that is important to them that they can offer to the Lord. And we'll donate it. But I'm so glad Tori's here. Because the minute I knew he was going to be here, the Lord told me that our first fruit offering as a church is going to be to tithe on whatever comes in for the first fruit offering directly to his ministry. And we'll make our treasurer a little bit nervous right now. And our, one of our members, Josanne, has put me and her in a discussion over a nonprofit that she's working with that is there to teach teenagers how to recognize the warning signs of abuse in their early dating lives. There is almost nothing more important in the world than teaching children how to know when they're not safe. And we want to give another 10% to that as well. So it's first fruit offerings and it's paying it forward and it's trusting God and honestly, and I'll talk more about this next week, we're gonna try our best to put as much time and resources into the children of this house all year this year. So this is what we want to do this year. So with that thought, I've just asked that you pray about that during the week and, and, and do your best to offer what the Lord is telling you to offer. At this time, we can come forward. I'm going to ask Elder George to come over here, and I'm going to ask Elder Ron over here, and we're going to come to the Lord's table. Reflect on what trees you might be hiding behind, and the minute this bread hits your lips, just know Jesus is calling you out, and he's covering you with something much better than what you could cover yourself with.
0: Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out
1: online at salemtabernacle.com.